So let's bow for prayer. And then uh, I did some introductory work last week that I can't take time to review or we never will finish. So we're just going to plunge into verse 7 in in just a moment, chapter 4. Father, thank you for the uh, beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for the delicious food. Uh, We're grateful for it and pray that you'll use it to strengthen and nourish our bodies. Thank you for the great fellowship that you allow us to have at our tables. And thank you for the privilege that's ours of studying your word for these next few minutes. I pray that you will speak to our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us from 1 Peter, and bless the fellowship that we continue to have with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look at verse 7 through 11. I'll read it again, and then we'll start with verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You might think with that kind of a conclusion that Peter's done, but he's not, obviously. There is more in chapter 4 and then, of course, the, the fifth chapter. So let's go back to verse 7, and we'll find uh, at least four things in verses 7 through 11 that... Um, should mark us as as believers in Christ as we embrace right living. The first one in verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be clear-headed. In other words, we're to be different. We're to be distinctive. And we're able to be different and distinctive because we see life through the lens of a Christ follower. And that makes all the difference in the world. Now, because the average age in this room is somewhere north of 40, (coughs) most of us have glasses. Or you may have contacts, and we don't know that you have glasses, but most of us are wearing glasses, and we look through the lens of the prescription that the doctor has prescribed for us. And if I take mine off, then the study is over for today. I can't read a word of my notes or on this page, and you're probably in the same boat, give or take a little bit. So I look through the lens of these glasses, and it really prescribes the way that I see things. In the same way, we see life through the lens of the fact that we are Christ followers and that really prescribes how we see life and the world. It is through the lens of a Christ follower. So therefore, we are able to be self-controlled and sober-minded. And he says we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded so that you may pray. I find that fascinating, that that little addendum that we do not want to ignore because that's very important. 
so that you may pray. The mark of a believer in the last days, and he tells us in verse 7 that we are in the last days. The end of all things is near. And if Peter said that 2,000 years ago, it is nearer now than it was then. The end of all things is near. So the mark of a believer in the last days is that we are to be men and women of prayer and being self-controlled and sober-minded enables us to be men and women of prayer. The hour is evil, the devil is active, so we gear up by praying. We gear up for today, tomorrow, and the future by being men and women of prayer. That should mark us. He then says in verse 8, love sincerely. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love sincerely. Now the word uh, sincere means real, genuine, and we're to love each other because love is relational. We know that. Love is relational. So Christ's children, we, are to love one another. And what does it mean because love covers over a multitude of sins. So, okay, let me see here. If I love you, then all those sins that I did yesterday are forgiven, right? <laughs> now, that's just, I'm, you know, that's just not, not true. That's just, I'm just giving an example. So you don't have to be wondering. I wonder what he did yesterday. <laughs> now, I didn't say it was a perfect day, but it may not have been quite as bad as a, as I made it, I made it look. What does it mean to cover over a multitude of sins? Does it mean that I love you so much that any offenses in our relationship are covered over? They're gone. They're out of sight. They're out of mind. I don't major on them. I don't look at you and think, yeah, you dirty dog. You said something awful to me the other day. No. We love one another, and so it covers over those sins that go before us. So we are to be self-controlled and sober-minded. We're to love sincerely. And in verse 9, we're to show hospitality. We're to show hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, that's pretty important. When we offer hospitality, we don't do it saying, man, I don't want to do this. We offer hospitality without Without grumbling, offering hospitality is a little bit like the practice of stewardship. You know, the Bible says that we are to be hilarious givers, happy, joyful givers. And and I've said many times, and you know it when you read the text in um, 2 Corinthians, that we are to give hilariously, joyfully, happily. Now, um, nobody knows when you give your gift to the church if you're doing so joyfully, happily, or grudgingly and with grumbling. Nobody knows except you and the Lord. The banker doesn't know. He doesn't care. I mean, the check, if you use a check, still taken to the bank on Monday morning. The banker doesn't stand there and say, I wonder if Miss Smith was grumbling yesterday when she gave this gift. He, he doesn't care. Deposit that thing. Uh, if you give online... I'm not really sure how all that works, but if you give online, nobody knows. If you hit the button and said, rah, 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 
or if you did so joyfully. Same thing in hospitality. We're to offer hospitality graciously and without grumbling. And that shows a sincerity when we're offering hospitality to one another. Now, uh, here's, here's a little interesting historical tidbit. In the first century, uh, there weren't many hotels, okay? Hilton didn't exist. Marriott didn't exist. Hotel 6, Motel 6 didn't exist. There weren't many hotels or motels. Visitors to a community would often go, as, as the sun began to set, they would often go to the town center in hopes of being invited to stay in someone's home. Isn't that interesting? In the hopes of being invited to stay in someone's home. Now, you don't have to indicate whether you're glad that tradition no longer exists or not, but that's what would happen. And folks would see someone who very obviously is a traveler, and they would offer hospitality by saying, and this is really Middle Eastern, kind of strange to us, Maybe it ought not be, but it is. That's just not Western mind doesn't think like this, but Eastern mind does think like this. Here's a guest in the center of town. I should go and ask them, him, her, would you like to stay at our house for the evening? You don't need to be out here alone, defenseless. Come and stay at my home, and I will not only give you a place to sleep, but I'll feed you a meal. Very common in those days. So... Peter is saying, do that with generosity, with hospitality, without grumbling. Now, for us today, what form does that take, that thought of showing hospitality? What form does that take? Uh, Opening up your home for others, uh, taking meals to folks who need a meal. What, What form does it take? Well, whatever it is that God leads you to do in showing hospitality, whatever it is, do it without grumbling, happily, gladly, generously. Then uh, the fourth thing is serve one another. In verses 10 and 11, he says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. A reminder of what we do with our spiritual gifts. Whatever your spiritual giftedness, it's not intended to make you look good or to just be able to say, hey, my spiritual gift is, but it is to be exercised, it is to be used, and it's to be used, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians, to build up what? The body of Christ, the church, to build up the church. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So you're being, stewardship is not just about money. It is about money, but not just about money. It is also about the spiritual gifts that God has entrusted to you, that you use those and exercise those for the building up of the church, the body of Christ. And then he gives examples. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. That is, you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you're studying the Scripture, you're you're speaking with kindness and graciousness. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things you may come off looking like a super-Christian, No, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Wow, I love that. I love that. And then Peter 
maybe pretty excited at this point, says to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's important for the minority, which Christians were, it's important for the minority and a hounded, persecuted minority at that to exercise the giftedness that God had given them to be a blessing to one another, to speak to one another the very words of God, and to serve one another. Can you see, we cherish community. Can you see how much they it was necessary for them to cherish community? Literally, their survival often depended on their cherishing and their connectedness with brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so verses 7 through 11 are awesome verses. Now we come to verses 12 through 19, and he is really going to zero in on what? Suffering. So let's see how he does it. Expect and prepare for suffering. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Did you catch that? He didn't say that might someday come on you. He says that has come on you to test you. Already a reality. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So the suffering means it's hard, but someday the glory of being in his presence and seeing Jesus face to face is going to be enhanced immeasurably because of what you've experienced here. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Now, I want to read that again because that's not the way we normally react. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. That puts a new light on persecution. You are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Wow. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So in the time we have left today, let's look at these verses. Expect and prepare for suffering. Jesus connected suffering and glory. Jesus connected suffering and glory. Hear the words of the Savior in John's Gospel, the 17th chapter, the very first verse, the the pastoral prayer that Jesus prayed for his followers to the Father. After Jesus said this, the teaching of chapter 16, he looked toward heaven and he prayed. And here's the way he begins the prayer. Father, the hour has come. 
What hour is that? Crucifixion. It's coming right now. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. You see the connection? You see how Jesus connects suffering and God's glory? Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Jesus knew. The arrest at Gethsemane, um, the horrible things that Jesus endured over the next hours were no surprise to him. He knew what was coming. The cross was not a surprise. That's why he came. The bearing on his own innocent heart, the sins of you and me and the world, no surprise to him. The reason he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane was because he knew that bearing our sin on his own innocent heart was going to be absolutely horrible. And it caused enormous um, physical tension in his heart and in his life. And so Jesus knew. He knew what was coming. The disciples did not, at least not yet. Now, true, they hadn't been listening very well, or they would have had a better understanding of what was coming, but far be it for me to criticize them because I often don't listen either. The disciples didn't grasp yet what was coming. Peter did after the resurrection, and it's reflected in these verses. He makes the connection of suffering and glory. He gets it. He did not get it the night he was standing around the campfire, the night Jesus had been arrested and denied that he knew Jesus and even cursed not once, not twice, but three times. He didn't get it then, but he got it after the resurrection, and he gets it as he tells these verses. Judas did not get it, or did he? You see, Judas in a manner of speaking, is saying to himself, I didn't sign on for a suffering Savior. That's not what I signed on to be part of. And so he then turns and betrays the Lord Jesus. But there are no surprises for Jesus. He prays it. Glorify me that I may glorify you, Father. And so... We see, as you look in the outline that I put on the page, glory and suffering are connected in verses 12 through 16. Peter makes the connection, and he wants us to see it. And more than just see it, he wants us to apply it to ourselves. If we suffer for Christ, Peter says we are blessed. Okay, uh, yeah, okay, I get that up here. <laughs> I don't know if I get it right here. I'm just being honest. We suffer and we're thinking, why me? God, where are you? Take this away from me. And that's just being, that's just being human. And we are human. But Peter encourages us to understand that if we suffer for Christ, we are blessed. He makes the connection, 
And then he points us to three specifics. So here are the three specifics. Number one, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised, verse 12 says, at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. Okay, Lord, I, I, I promise next time something happens, I will try not to say, why did you let this happen to me? I thought I was doing everything you wanted me to do. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you. So what could Peter mean by that? Well, Most of us go through seasons of life when we, when we lack, and here's some P's if you want to write this down, words that begin with P. Seasons of life when we lack provision. We don't have what we think we need. We don't have enough. We lack provision. We lack power. I can't do anything about what I'm going through. We lack position. I'm really nobody in the big scheme of things. I'm just a little old me. We lack protection. We think. We lack protection. I'm vulnerable. I'm open. I'm hurting. And we lack permanence, so it seems. I I thought I was connected to Jesus, but I don't feel it now. Sometimes we go through seasons of life when we feel like we lack those things. All of us have faced verbal or maybe even physical persecution, mockery, condemnation because of your faith in Christ, accusations made against you because you're a Christ follower, or maybe even for some of you physical persecution. Or you've experienced the pain of suffering because of what you see in people you love who are hurting. And sometimes that hurts more than your own suffering. Your your spouse, your child, your parents, your brother, sister, a loved one, you see them suffering and you feel that pain, if not physical, at least emotionally bearing that weight of their suffering on your own heart. And then we would not want to forget the dark moments when Satan attacks. And he does. So Peter is saying to us, trials are inevitable. Expect difficulty. And when we do not expect it, that shows that we've not fully understood what it means to follow Jesus. In verse 13, he says, we share or participate in the sufferings of Christ. We share and participate in His sufferings. So, in the vernacular of the days, hanging out with Jesus will bring trials to your life. They will. So he says, do not be surprised. 
Then he says, second thing, do not think it strange. Verse 12, do not think it strange. Suffering for Christ and for the gospel is never to be thought strange. We don't think, I I can't believe that the Lord is letting this happen to me. I hadn't missed church in four months. We don't think that. We know it is not strange that we suffer because we share the suffering of Jesus. I know all of us have had times in our lives, every one of us, or I'd be amazed if no one, if there's somebody in this room who never thought it, but some, we, we go through, we think, where, where is God? I've been praying, I've been reaching out, I'm hurting, and I don't seem, my prayers don't seem to get beyond the ceiling. Where has God gone? Well, the answer to that question, according to Peter, is nowhere. He, he hasn't gone anywhere. In fact, in verse 14, when we suffer for Him, His his smile is upon us. His blessing is upon us. You are blessed for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Oh my goodness. Now, I had to really just, I had to just sit back at my desk and just let that verse kind of wash over me a little bit. To understand that if and when, well not if, when I suffer, the spirit of glory and of God is resting on me. That doesn't mean you can walk by and say, oh, I see the spirit resting on you. But it does have a lot to do with the way that we react before others to what we're, to what we're experiencing. So as we suffer, whether that's today or next month, Remember that Peter says the glory of God and the spirit of the glory and of God is resting on you as you suffer. Now, um, remember the words of Jesus. The most famous sermon ever preached was what? Sermon on the Mount. And remember that Jesus said as part of that sermon, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company. You're in good company. Again, I know you get tired of me going back to the dot. You know the line, the dot... But remember what we're experiencing here, that tiny little dot in time, all of eternity is before us. And that that suffering will all be over and we will be in the presence of God seeing Him face to face. Yeah, it's going to hurt here sometimes. It's going to hurt badly. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's going to hurt. But just remember, very temporary, very temporary. I know as I've counseled people through the years, one of the most heartbreaking things, and most of us have been there at some time or another, is people saying, 
it just looks like my situation, my pain, my suffering is never going to end. And probably everybody's been there at least once in your life. But Peter is reminding us, Jesus reminded us, no, this will come to an end. Or, as we've said, for the Christian, the best is yet to be. Always, always for the Christian. So we can pull back the curtain and look. There he is. He's been there all along. He's been there all along. Now, um, yeah, let me finish verse 16. Verse 16, he says, uh, do not be ashamed. That, that's the third thing. Do not be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed or hesitant to identify with Jesus. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. The implication being, um, maybe this suffering will go away if I will hide the fact that I belong to Christ. Don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Oh, my goodness. Do you see the implications of that? I don't want to suffer, so I'm not going to let anybody know that I believe the Bible. I'm just going to keep it to myself. Peter says, no, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Okay. Um, next week we will finish chapter 5 of chapter 4 and we'll see how far we get in 5. It may be, I hate to say this out loud, but it may be that we'll finish First Peter next week. Maybe. I, I left myself an out. Uh, and what's coming next? Judges. Yeah, that's right. Judges. Be an entirely different... Yeah, you can't get much different than First Peter and Judges, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious word. What encouragement you bring to our hearts. Someone here is in the midst of suffering today, and I pray that these words of Peter, of the Holy Spirit, these words of the Lord himself, be a great help and source of strength, comfort, and encouragement. May it be so for all of us, whatever we may face in the days to come. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. See you next time.